All right, so one day, an art professor took his class of art students on a field trip to a famous sculptor's studio. And they sat there and watched the famous sculptor begin a new piece, this big block of marble. He began chipping away at a corner here and a corner there. So on behalf of the students, the professor asked the famous sculptor, how do you know what to chip away? Right? Good question. The sculptor, he he smiles at the professor and at the students and he says, you just see a block of stone. But in my mind, I see what is becoming. I see the figure that is. And whatever isn't in that picture, I chip away. Remember that that imagery. This morning we're going to begin a new series called Psalms. Worship as a Second Language. And I got to just suggest to you, if you are sitting here this morning and you desire to deepen your intimacy in worship, may I invite you to spend time in Psalms. If you've got a Bible with you this morning and you take your Bible and you flip it open about halfway, which really doesn't work if you're looking at your Bible on a device like version or something. But if you have an old school Bible like with like looks like this, if you flip it open to about halfway, you're going to be really close to the book that we call Psalms. It's one of the it's the it actually is it's the longest book in the Bible and it's made up of 150 individual psalms. The book itself is actually five books in one. And each section concludes with a doxology before the next section begins. Scholars suggest that each of these five sections, each of these five mini books of the book of Psalms parallel the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. So the first kind of mini book in Psalms, you know, kind of connects up with Genesis. And then the next section connects up with Exodus. Um, Which I find kind of interesting. The Psalms contain the longest chapter in the Bible, which is chapter 119. The Psalms also contain the shortest chapter in the Bible, which is very good. This is a smart congregation. Psalm 117. The Psalms were written by numerous authors over 1,000 years. King David wrote about 80 of the Psalms that we have in the Scriptures Um, Some of these and many of these he wrote when he was in distress in the desert, you know, running for his life with a bounty on his head. His son Solomon, wise Solomon, you know, he authored many of the Psalms as well. Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Musicians and artists, they would probably see Psalms as greatest hits. Uh, To some, it's the most impressive collection of songs and poems and prayers ever assembled. Some were likely performed, I mean, this is kind of cool to think about. Some of these psalms were probably performed by history's greatest worship band, which would be King David's 4,000-piece orchestra that you can read about in 1 Chronicles 23. And when you read the psalms, you quickly realize these are not like sanitized you know, like Bible poems, Sunday school poems. I mean, these are the, the heart cries. These, these are the prayers of, of um, not so well-behaved people 
It's not like people who had all their picture frames level, you know, in their lives. These are the honest heart cries of people experiencing abandonment, um, who, who are being hunted, who are like experiencing train wrecks in their lives, and they're crying out to God. They're also, you know, you can also find in there prayers of triumph and, and you know, prayers of worship. You know, some scholars might say you can reduce the Psalms to three categories, three types of Psalms, Psalms of help, Psalms of thanks, and songs of awesome worship. For hurting people today and throughout the centuries, since the beginning of the time, since the Psalms have been there, Psalms have been the go-to book when you're hurting. Every experience of the human condition is reflected in what we call Psalms. No matter what mood you're in, you can find a psalm that reflects the mood you're experiencing. You know, for, for example, like I wrote down some of these. Like if, if you're experiencing fear, you might want to read Psalm 56 or 91 or 23. If you're discouraged, you might want to read Psalm 42. If you're lonely, how about Psalm 71? If you're oppressed with a sense of sinfulness, how about Psalm 51? If you're experiencing worry or anxiety, Psalm 37. If you're angry, Psalm 58. You know, if you're feeling resentful, maybe Psalm 94. If you're happy and want to express your happiness, Psalm 92 or 66. Feeling forsaken, how about Psalm 88? Grateful and you want to say it, read Psalm 40. Doubtful, how about Psalm 119? I mean, you could, you could just go on and on. If you, if you Just do a Google search. Psalms for loneliness, Psalms for this, Psalms for that. You can find a Psalm that, that reflects the emotions you're experiencing. Jesus knew the Psalms. Jesus loved Psalms. He lived and died with them on his lips. On the cross, his, his last words were Psalm 31.5. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. In this series, what we're simply going to do is throughout the month of August, we're going to look at a different psalm each Sunday. And, and whoever's up here sharing is going to share out of the overflow of how that psalm ministers to them and speaks to them. And we're going to start this morning with Psalm 23. Probably the most famous psalm of all, Psalm 23. So let's pray and dive in. And actually, as we pray, I'm just going to pray a psalm. Psalm 19, 14. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart, may it be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, like I said, may be the best known Bible passage on the planet. Would you agree? I can't think of any other passage in the Bible that is probably more well known than Psalm 23. It's the most searched for Bible scripture on the internet. Your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your classmate, who isn't even a Christian, knows Psalm 23. It's probably needle-pointed somewhere in everybody's grandma's house, right? Like, it, it's, it's, that's what Psalm 23 is. It's woven into the fabric of our culture. But sometimes, though, right, this is what happens. Sometimes something is so familiar to us, we're so close to it, we become oblivious to its value, right? I, I think of the bank teller who every day is handling $100 of bills. I mean, it, it's, it's so mundane for them that they just put them in a machine and count them. You know, but you put a $100 bill, you put a $100 bill in my hand, like 
That's the most awesome thing in the world. I've ne- I rarely have one of those. That's amazing. Or you think about like a, a jeweler who handles diamonds day in and day out. I mean, they, they, they become almost immune to the value. Or, or us in Lake Michigan. We live next to this phenomenal gift that we take for granted. I think sometimes that can happen to us with scriptures. And I think sometimes that's what happens to us with familiar scriptures like Psalm 23. It's so familiar. It's so familiar that sometimes I think we miss the phenomenal promises that God is putting on the table in Psalm 23. That if we take him up on what he's saying in Psalm 23, what David is saying, if we take God up on those truths and those promises, it'll change your life. It'll literally change your life. Now I know you know Psalm 23, but can I ask all of us, myself especially, this morning, I know we know Psalm 23, but are we living in the power and the promise of Psalm 23 every day? Are we living in its power and in its promise? We know this psalm. I bet you can recite it. I bet if we were to try to say it together without looking at a screen, without looking at the the Bible, we could probably get pretty much close to through it. You know, we'd start out strong, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack or I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then then if you're like me, we like, okay, now what's next? We start to mumble along, sort of like with the Lord's Prayer, right? Like, our Father who art in heaven, there's the kingdom and the power. And the, I mean, we do that with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, and some about like enemies and darkness. And, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we, we know it enough to just be dangerous. Like we know Psalm 23. But just for the sake of maybe not having it all memorized, let's put it up on the screen, okay? Let's put it up on the screen. And I, I first, before I read through it, I just, just look at that first line. This is what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's nothing I lack. The Lord is my shepherd. Question number one. Is God a shepherd? I mean, do, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is, he isn't this distant, disengaged, way far away God. He's a personal God. He's an involved God. He's an engaged God. He's an intimate God. He's our shepherd. Do you believe that God is a shepherd? Raise your hand if you believe God is a shepherd. Awesome. Second question. Would you say Jesus is? is my shepherd. Would you say this morning, he's, he's your shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Raise your hand. If that's true of you this morning, turn to the person next to you and say, he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. One more question. Maybe don't raise your hands on this one. Are you letting him shepherd you? Are you letting the shepherd shepherd you? I mean, if you're calling him your shepherd and you're like raising your hand, you know, and saying he's my shepherd and you're telling your neighbor he's my shepherd, that must mean you're letting him shepherd you, right? You're letting him lead you. I mean, can he be your shepherd and yet not be allowed to shepherd you? Is the Lord 
shepherding your life today? Are you following him? Is the Lord doing for you everything that he promises to do with you in Psalm 23? And what is it that the shepherd is promising to do with you, for you, on your behalf in Psalm 23? Well, let's read it. And I would like to invite us to to maybe read this together, okay? And you know what? Like, if you're able, just only if you're able, why don't we stand for a second? Because we're going to read the Word of God together as the body of Christ. Read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. The inspired, living, breathing, true word of God. You may be seated. You have a shepherd. I have a shepherd. And he's offering us a relationship in which he kind of wants to make us do something. I think that's where a lot of people stop short with God. You know, oh, wait, what? He, He wants to make me do something? I think everybody wants everything God has to offer without having to give up anything, without having to give up control. I don't, I don't want a God who makes me do anything. Look, I mean, keep reading. All he wants to do is make you lie down in green pastures. And we're going to talk about that in in just a little bit. The truth is, and just think about this, ponder this. If you don't want to let anyone make you do anything, if you don't want to let anyone have influence in your life, you will, by default, then just become your own shepherd. I mean, if he's not your shepherd, then you're your own shepherd. I mean, resisting or rejecting God, as your shepherd, doesn't make you shepherdless. Either he or you are shepherding your life. Now, you may try to be your own boss. You may try to make your own decisions. The problem is, you're a sheep. And me, we're sheep. Sheep don't make, you know, great shepherds. The biblical metaphor is that God is the shepherd making us the sheep. And, and I just got to tell us, I mean, I'm not a farmer, but that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment to be a sheep. It's not like, oh, you're so cute and you're so woolly and you're so kind and gentle. What an awesome thing to be a sheep. Sheep are not spectacular creatures. Have you hung around them at all? They're, they're not spectacular creatures. They, they don't run great. They, they don't see great. They're certainly not the smartest animals in the animal kingdom. And you know what? They need leadership. Sheep need leadership. Now the shepherd says, I'm going to make you do some things. I'm going to make you do something like, like lie down in a green pasture. Imagine 
the sheep's response, like, nah, I don't need a shepherd. I think I'll go lie down over here in the heat. And I'll just kind of stay there, exposed to predators. So sometimes the shepherd has to make the sheep lie down. It's interesting in it, isn't it? Because God loves us, sometimes he makes us lie down. Has God ever made you lie down because you weren't smart enough to lie down by yourself? Have you ever experienced that? I know some of you have. Have you ever experienced, has God ever made you lie down because you weren't smart enough to lie down by yourself? You guys, we we have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd, so good that sometimes he makes us do things. But whatever it is, it's amazing. We can trust that it will be amazing because he is a good shepherd. So let's not get too bothered about things like that, about the things that the shepherd makes us want to do. Because all he's trying to do for us, all he's trying to do with us are the the things that he talks about, that David talks about in Psalm 23. What is it that the shepherd wants to do for us and with us? He, He wants to lead us beside quiet, restful waters. He he wants to make us lie down in green pastures and he wants to lead us beside quiet, restful waters. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there anyone here this morning that needs leading? I mean, I could really use some leading in my life. Well, the good shepherd is saying to you this morning, hey, I'm pretty good at leading. I'm a good shepherd. I'm gonna lead you like beside quiet, restful waters. He refreshes my soul. I mean, anyone need refreshment this morning? Anyone need restoration or nourishment on the inside? He, he guides me along the right path or paths of righteousness. Anyone here this morning could use some wisdom, could use some direction, could use some guidance in your life? Good shepherd's offering it to you. How about this? The valley of the shadow. Or in some translations, you know, the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, I- anyone like maybe feeling like you're, you're in the valley today? You, you're, you're in the darkness? You know, you're in the, the, the shadowy valley? Even in the darkest times, the good shepherd says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I love this metaphor. Like, like oftentimes in the Middle East, a shepherd would, would lead from out front, lead by voice maybe occasionally throwing a rock to the side of one or the other to kind of guide the sheep, you know. But, but you know what a, a good shepherd would do is as nighttime comes on and as the shadows begin to increase, instead of, from, instead of leading from out front, a good shepherd kind of hangs back, kind of drifts back among the sheep, among the flock, and is with them, right beside them. That's what, that's what God, that's what Jesus says he'll do. I mean, when you're going, you're going through darkness, I'm with you. I'm not just out in front of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of drift back and be right beside you. And, and you're going to hear my voice. I'm with you. And I have a rod. And I have a staff. And I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to comfort you. And you know what? I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I love this imagery. Uh, notice, the good shepherd doesn't say like, I will rescue you from your enemies and remove your enemies from you. He says, no, 
they're still going to be there. Whatever your enemy is, whether it's a disease or a diagnosis or, you know, an attack in a relationship or whatever, whatever enemy is for you, I'm not necessarily going to like make it go away. But you know what? I'm going to be with you and I'm going to prepare a table where just you and I can have fellowship. And, and on this table will be my provision. And it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Even in the midst of whatever enemy it is that, that you're dealing with right now in life, I'm going I'm to make a table and we're going to have fellowship together right in front of all of them. Uh, they're going to see that you have a good shepherd and he's with you and he provides for you. I'm going I'm to anoint your head with oil and favor and blessing and overflowing. And, and I, you know what? As the good shepherd, I will follow you like like you're following me, but I will follow your life with goodness and I will follow your life with love until the day your life ends at the gates of the almighty God and where you will have permanent and eternal residence with the God of the universe who is your good shepherd who is with you and led you every step of the journey. That's, that's what it means to have a good shepherd. That's what it means to let the good shepherd shepherd you. All those things become true of you. And you know what, sheep, we're so smart. You know what we do with all that? You know what we do with all these promises and provisions? You know what we do with all these amazing truths? We frame them and we put them on the wall, like in our guest bathroom or something like that. And we go on leading our life thinking we know how to do it better. Sheep are not very smart. Psalm 23 is David reminding us that God is offering us a different lifestyle. God is offering to be your shepherd. He's the shepherd for sure. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, he's the shepherd. But whether or not he is shepherding us is up to us. So back to the question, are you following the shepherd? Are you following the good shepherd? I mean, we could seriously... We, seriously, we could seriously preach a message on every stanza or line from Psalm 23. We could make this like a six-week series, you know, Psalm 23. There's so much in there. Um, there's so much truth. There's so much possibility when we allow Jesus to be our shepherd and we let him shepherd us. But I want to zoom in on one line in particular. One line in particular that for me has really taken on new understanding for me recently. I remember standing on a hillside in the Negev desert in Israel just a couple months ago. This past June, you know, on a trip that you know I was on with with Ray Vanderlaan. And he was bringing Psalm 23 to life in in a way, making it alive in in new ways for me. Now, Now remember... David, who wrote Psalm 23, is a shepherd. He is a shepherd and he's writing about the Lord as our shepherd. Now here's what we need to understand. The desert or the wilderness, you know, they're interchangeable kind of words. The desert or the wilderness is the land of the shepherd. It's not the fields. In Israel, the the land of the shepherd is the desert. It's it's not fields. We always think of fields, but but it's not the fields. Farmers grew their crops in the fields. Shepherds herded their flocks of goats and sheep in the desert, in the wilderness. It was pretty rare, actually, to see a shepherd with sheep in the fields. Okay? Because there wasn't a lot of farm country. So the, the farmers would keep the shepherds out. 
maybe, maybe a couple times a year, the farmers would let the shepherds bring their flocks into the fields, maybe right before planting or right after the harvest to glean some of the leftovers. But it was rare to see sheep among the fields. So in the scriptures, when it says the shepherds were tending their flocks out in the field by night, um, that would have been a rare thing. And that certainly wouldn't have been in December. That would have been a different time of year. But that's a whole other like, story and message for another time. When was Jesus really born? Okay, but, um, so, but here's the part I want you to catch. The, the desert, the wilderness is the land of the shepherd. Okay, and I, I obviously like, you know, I can't help it. I got some pictures from, from when I was over there. Like this is a picture. You could, you could see the flock. See, this is the desert. This is the wilderness. This is the land of the shepherd. Okay, now you might look at that and you might like, uh, like, what do they eat? Are they, like, do these sheep, are they special sheep and they eat dirt and rocks and things like that? Like, like where, where, where do they eat? You know, here's, here's another picture um, of us just kind of walking out in the desert that morning. And yet you, you see like these lines, like you, you see like they're like little pathways. Do you, do you see that? I think uh, I got another picture here. You can kind of see them on the hillside. You know, like see these lines, these pathways. You know what shepherds call those paths? Paths of righteousness. Okay, those are, those are paths of righteousness. Those are the paths that the shepherd would lead the sheep on. And, and you know what, like, the sheep would find on those paths of righteousness? They would, among the rocks, they would find, like, things like this. Like, little, teeny, tiny tufts of grass. Like, like this, or like that. You know what the shepherd would call those little tufts of grass? Green pastures. That's green pastures. Now, until I went there, up until like these first 48 years of my life, or how forever long I've known Psalm 23, I've always pictured when I picture that line, he makes me lie down in green pastures, I always imagine like this, this flowing field, you know, with, with belly deep alfalfa that you can just kind of meander around in like these, these green pastures. But you know what? This, this right here, this photo, this is most likely what David was referring to when he put, you know, words to pen, when he penned those words, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, how, how would this grass even grow there? Well, you know, um, there's a rainy season in the desert. Usually, you know, that rainy season would be like November to March. And when the rains would come, what the rains would do is they'd collect on the bottom sides, among the rocks, you know, in the shade. Or even in the non-rainy season, in the dry season. At the end of the day, usually, you'd get this wind coming from the west, from the Mediterranean Sea, about 20 miles away, and it would carry some moisture. And, uh, you know, as it cooled down at night, that moisture would sort of descend on the rocks and, and sort of collect on the, on the side of the rocks and condense, and voila, grass. You know, little tiny, teeny tufts of grass would emerge. And what a good shepherd would do is a good shepherd would look for hillsides exposed to wind, knowing that there would be green pastures likely there. And the good shepherd would lead the sheep among the green pastures along the paths of righteousness. And a little sheep would go along and just take a mouthful here and then 
go a little farther, move to the next rock, little tuft of grass, little eat a little mouthful of grass there. That's what it means. That's what it means when Psalm 23 says that our good shepherd leads us and makes us lie down in green pastures. Green pastures, it's not... It's not like everything you need for the rest of your life all at once. Here you go. Here's this big meadow full of grass. It'll, it'll sustain you for the rest of your life. You have everything you need. That's not what green pastures is. If God gave us that, I mean, think about that. If God gave you that, like this, this meadow full of belly deep grass that will sustain you for the rest of your life, you would never learn to depend on God. You'd never learn to depend on God. You'd never learn to trust him. You plunk down in that sort of environment, sheep will never move. A sheep in the desert has to learn to trust that the shepherd knows what he or she is doing. Shepherds were usually girls. It has to learn what he, trust that the shepherd knows what he or she is doing and for, will provide them for what they need in this moment. That the shepherd will give you just enough for this moment. That's all the shepherd can give you. Just enough for this moment. That's, think about it. Think about the Israelites' journey in the desert. God would give them manna. Just enough for today. That's it. Then tomorrow I'll give you just enough. I know there's that exception with the Sabbath, but you get the principle, right? Don't worry about tomorrow, the shepherd says. Don't even worry about 10 minutes from now. I got what you need 10 minutes from now. Here's what you need right now. The good shepherd knows what you need. I mean, Jesus alludes to this, doesn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems, okay? You just seek first the kingdom of God. Just seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be taken care of. Because I'm the good shepherd. Or there's, there's a Jewish rabbi that, that RVL shared with us. It says, you know, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pastures. Today's pastures are just for today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Psalm 23 is full of promises for sheep being led in the desert. And even in darkness. Now catch that. The sheep are being led. Got me thinking about, like, you know, sometimes we talk about the nation of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. But I've been reading, like, the first five books of the Bible over the last month. Like, they didn't wander. They were led. God led them with a, with a cloud by day, a fire by night. When it stopped, they stopped. When it moved, they moved. They were led. You don't wander in the desert. You're, you're led through the desert on purpose. God led them. Why did God lead them through the desert for 40 years? Because he wanted to teach them to trust him. He wanted to teach them to, to rely on him, to live by every word that comes from God. And, and isn't that true for us? The desert is, is it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor in the Bible. And, and the desert represents chaos and pain and suffering 
You know, it, the desert in the Bible represents the way things aren't supposed to be. You know, the, the, the desert represents a dangerous place. It's full of, of peril and there's no water and there's no food and there's no shelter. There's the blazing heat and the, the deep shadows at night. In the deserts where we go through trials and we experience pain and suffering and unknown and difficulty and struggle. But you know what? The good shepherd's always there. The good shepherd is with us and he is always just enough. He's always just enough. Doesn't make it easier. Doesn't make it less painful. But what you discover is if you let the shepherd shepherd you during times of desert, during times of trial, during times of, of being in the valley, you will discover God's provision and his presence and a power in a way that you never would have if you're just hanging out in the, the valley, the, the field full of belly deep alfalfa. The desert plays a purpose. The desert plays a purpose in our lives. God leads us, or I don't know, theologically sometimes maybe allows allows desert times in our life because the desert and the valley is where the sculptor chips away. It's where God, the good sculptor, who has a picture of what he's trying to create, chips away. The desert times in life is where we get chipped away and where the, ma- the sculptor brings forth his masterpiece. The desert is where God shapes us. And I don't know if you are in a desert moment this morning or not, if you're not, you will be sometime in the near future, probably. Um, Psalm 23's promises and truths for you and for me. Don't, don't try to leave the desert too quickly. It's where God does his best work. I'm going to invite the band forward. And uh, I just want us to reflect as we get ready to sing one more song. I don't know what what sort of desert you might be experiencing this morning. What kind of valley you might find yourself in, maybe in darkness. I don't know what kind of lessons God's trying to teach you about who he is or who you are. But I know this, God is looking for a people who would rather be in his arms in the desert than apart from his arms in abundance. Are you willing to endure the desert to be in the good shepherd's arms? What's God saying to you this morning? We, we never open this word in vain. Every time we open it and engage in it and listen to it, like there's something. God has something for you. What is it for you this morning? Maybe it's this question. I'm not sure he's my shepherd. He's inviting you to be his sheep. He wants to be your shepherd. All you need to do is just surrender your life to his and acknowledge that that your life's going to be better with him shepherding than with you shepherding. Is he your shepherd? Or maybe for you this morning, you have declared him your shepherd, but you're not letting him shepherd you. What would it look like to surrender to that this morning and to let him lead. He knows where the restful waters are. He knows where those little tufts of grass are. You know, he's got the rod and the staff. He's got a table prepared for you to come feast on. 
Are you letting him? Are you letting him shepherd you? Which means you're surrendering to him. You're following him. You're obeying him. You're immersing your life in his. Is he your shepherd? Are you letting him shepherd you? Are you trusting that he's just enough and he's all I need? He's just enough for this moment. He's all I need. And I trust that when I get to the next moment, he'll be there too and he's just enough. Are you trusting him? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're just in a season where you're just letting him chip away and shape you a little bit. But whatever it is, Lord, speaking to you, receive it this morning. Believe it and act on it. Lord, thank you that, uh, man, we just, we're sorry. Like, we're dumb sheep sometimes. And we think we know the better way. And we try to do it ourselves. Thank you for this reminder, this challenge, this promise of Psalm 23. That we don't have to do it ourselves. We don't have to figure it out. We, we have a good shepherd. And all we have to do is listen to his voice, trust him, and follow him. And all these things that he promises will be ours. Doesn't make it easier, doesn't make it less painful, but it makes it way better. May we act on what you're speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's, uh, let's stand and, and sing.